0: The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way, a voice of one calling in a wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight path for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey and this was his message after me comes the one more powerful than i the straps of whose sandals i'm not worthy to stoop down and untie i baptize you with water but he will baptize you with the holy spirit at that time jesus came from nazareth in galilea and was baptized by john in the jordan
1: Uh, Good morning, everyone. Can you hear me okay? Good, good. Um, It's wonderful to see you here and privileged to open God's Word with you this morning. Uh, We're going to pray again. Let's pray. Uh, May the words uh, on on my lips, Father, and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our Rock and Redeemer. Father, we pray that by your Spirit and through your Word, that you would teach us, train us, rebuke us, correct us, Equip us for righteousness, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, well, we all have that one family family member or um, family friend who, who's bad at segues. You know, those conversation <laughs> transitions or shifting between topics, uh, the lovable and sweet, but not always with it. Uh, that kind of crazy Uncle Jimbo or person we call Uncle Jimbo, despite not being our uncle, and not being named Jim or James or anything resembling Jimbo. Now, if you don't know who the crazy Uncle Jimbo is in your family, have you ever stopped to think that it might be you? <laughs> well, to be fair, <laughs> we all mess up segways from time to time. It's not only the Uncle Jimbo's of the world. Uh, so, I'd like to imagine that we're at a dinner party uh, and when the conversation is going along nicely, someone brings up cars and then we get to- talking about first cars. Someone mentions their first car was a Holden, someone else's first car was a Ford, someone else's was a Toyota. And then dear old Uncle Jimbo, uh, he, he brings this one out of the bag. He says, if you think about it, a giraffe is just a really tall zebra. And we're all left wondering, how did you get that from first cars? Perhaps telling us what your first car was would have made more sense. And we're thinking, did, did, did Uncle Jimbo have seven mental steps to get there? Or was he just not paying attention at all? Oh, Uncle Jimbo. (laughs) When we get to verses 2 and 3 and 4 and 5 and 6 of Mark's gospel, we might begin by wondering, Uncle Jimbo, is that you? Mark, are you like Uncle Jimbo? You've just told us that this is the massive news about Jesus, the king of the whole world. And then you start talking about someone else. Why? Tell us more about the king of the whole world, Mark. Don't tell us about someone else. It's true that Mark does start talking about someone else. But Mark is not crazy Uncle Jimbo. Mark has a very important reason for bringing up this other person. And while it may look like he's changing the subject, starting to talk about the messenger instead of the king, there were promises God made long ago about the messenger that help us to see who the king is. Now, Mark 1, 1-9 that Cora read for us, It fits with the emphasis that we saw last week that the first half of Mark is all about Jesus the King. Uh, Mark tells us about John the messenger not to take the focus away from Jesus the King, but because telling us about the messenger opens our eyes to understand who the King really is. We're going to start by looking at the promises Mark quotes from the Old Testament, how they find their fulfillment in John, and then we're going to see what that tells us about jesus and then we'll think about how that applies to us today so our points today will be one the promised messenger two, the promised king and three the promised salvation so the promised messenger point number one mark starts by quoting uh two old testament prophets isaiah and malachi and it was customary to use the name of the larger prophet uh, so that's why he says at as it is written in the in isaiah the prophet in verse two, and then he puts these two quotes together. The Isaiah prophecy is from over 700 years before Jesus walked the earth. And the Malachi's one is from from over 450 years before Jesus walked the earth. People had been waiting for this messenger for a long, long time. Clearly Mark wants us to get that John the Baptist is this messenger. And we're going to look at four key ways that John the Baptist lines up with the description of the promised messenger. And those four ways are, one, what he says, two, what he does, three, what he wears, and four, where he hangs. What he says, what he does, what he wears, where he hangs. All right, what he says. So, for starters, the prophecies about the messenger stated that he would be a voice crying, that he would be proclaiming something, speaking, saying something. And notice how John appears in verse four. He's baptizing people, yes. But deliberately, Mark tells us that John was proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. He's saying something. And again, in verse 7, he preached. So clearly, this messenger, John, is there to say something. And not just random things, like Uncle Jimbo. (laughs) As in the prophecy, John is sent from God to speak God's words as the promised messenger and what's he telling them about he's telling them about washing baptism repentance and forgiveness of sins so that's what he says he's saying stuff he's talking about cleansing and forgiveness of sins what does he do what he does prepares the way do you see the promise that the prophecy in the prophecy that comes up twice in both verses 2 and 3 it's prepare the way and then when we look at the content of John's preaching he talks about someone else and not about himself. Clearly, he's getting the people ready for the person who is mightier than he is, as he tells us in verse seven, and the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit, as he says in verse eight. John is so convinced of the greatness of the one to come that he says that he's not even worthy to untie that man's sandals. Now, sandals can get pretty grotty at the best of times, um, and if you imagine people back in the day in the Middle East walking around in all the dust and the sand and not having a shower ever <laughs> and probably owning, owning, owning only owning wow that's a tongue twister only owning one pair of sandals, it's not hard to see why why something like untying someone's sandals would be viewed as such a humiliating task that was just for the slaves to do. Well John says he's not even worthy to serve in that way. John recognizes that He's, he's not worthy to even serve this one as a slave. He's preparing the way for someone so much greater that he isn't even worthy to be his slave. So we've seen what he says and what he does. And now we're going to look at what he wears and where he hangs. And these might sound like insignificant details, but they do come up in the promises about the messenger and show these prophecies to be trustworthy and accurate, both in the big things and in the fine details. So, uh oh, just give me a moment, sorry. <laughs> all
0: right. um,
1: if you saw me wearing like colors like this and a, and a white hard hat um, and steel cap boots uh, and there's scaffolding all around me, you would rightly go, he's a construction worker, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, in 2 Kings chapter 1, verse 8, some of Ahaziah's messengers describe Elijah in the following way. They're trying to describe who this guy is, and they say, He wore a garment of hair with a belt of leather about his waist. And when Ahaziah hears this, he's like, It's Elijah, (laughs) the Tishbite. He just knows. Imagine having that kind of reputation. He walks around wearing a garment of hair and a belt of leather around his waist, and people just know, they know that's what Elijah wears. So when we read in Mark that John is clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist, we realize that, like me in my high-vis construction uniform, John is wearing his Elijah uniform. And this is especially important, because in Malachi, God promises to send Elijah the prophet in much the same way he promises to send the messenger. And then, like I mentioned, with the uniform at the building site, John is found where? Well, in verse 4, see, he's found in the wilderness. And, and that once again fits the prophecy that comes up of a voice crying in the wilderness. So, so so, in all of these different little details, but in also the big details, John is matching up perfectly with the promised messenger. And we see this in what he says. He's proclaiming baptism, repentance, forgiveness of sins. What he does He's getting people ready for the one so much greater than himself. What he wears, his Elijah uniform, didn't look like this, but (laughs) that's what he was wearing, and where he hangs out in the wilderness. So with all of that established, that John is that promised messenger, we now move to our second point, thinking about the promised king once more. Remember, Mark starts his account of Jesus' life by telling us that Jesus is the king of the whole world. And there's massive news about this King. Mark's real focus in showing us that John is the promised messenger is to tell us something about Jesus, the King. So what is it? Well, let's go and have a look at the promises in Malachi and Isaiah and see what they say. It all has to do with whom the messenger is preparing the way for. Remember, John is preparing the way for someone to arrive. And the promises tell us who that someone is, who the one he's preparing for is. So let's go and see for ourselves. Um, So we're going to look at Malachi uh, chapter 3, verse 1, um, Malachi chapter 4, verse 5, and Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3. I'll read them to you. Um, You don't have to turn there, but if you're very quick at flipping in your Bible, please feel free to do that. Malachi 3, 1. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Malachi 4:5. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And Isaiah 40, verse 3. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord make straight in the desert, a highway for our God. So who who is coming? Who comes to earth after the promised messenger? It's God himself. God sends his messenger before he himself comes to his temple. God sends Elijah before the great and awesome day of the Lord. A voice cries in the wilderness to prepare the way for who? The Lord. And that's Lord with capitals. Um, which is is God's personal name, Yahweh, the great I Am. Who are the straight paths made for? Our God. Malachi and Isaiah prophesy about God himself coming after the promised messenger. And we've just seen that John is this promised messenger in Mark 1, 2 to 8. So what does Mark tell us next? Verse 9. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. By showing us that John is the promised messenger, Mark brings to light the awesome truth that this man, Jesus of Nazareth, the promised king is God himself come to earth. The Lord come to his temple, our God. And that makes perfect sense, doesn't it? I mean, who else could be the king of the whole world? That's God's position. And his alone. I remember the prophecies being accurate in both the small and the big things. Well, those same prophecies that are accurate about John the messenger are accurate about Jesus the king. Jesus is fully God and fully man. And why does that matter? Well, it's because he's worthy of all praise. He's the rightful king over everyone and everything. And John clearly understood that. I remember his words about being unworthy to to be the slave of the one who came after him. And, well, that's true of all of us. We're talking about God. We aren't worthy to be his slaves. Instead of recognizing this world as belonging to him and living uh, with him as our God, we naturally go against him and we try to be the master of our own lives when we weren't even worthy to be slaves of him. How we like to live like we're the king of the whole world, like we are God and entitled to call the shots and live life our way. And, and deep down, we know that we've all lived like this, trying to be the master when we weren't even worthy to be slaves. And God is just and holy. And, and such rebellion in the face of his blazing perfection receives the just sentence of condemnation. So, the message that God is coming terrifies us sinners. The perfect one whom no one can stand before, he is coming. What hope is there? Well, there's another awesome truth that comes from Jesus being God, which brings us to our final point, promised salvation. Instead of coming in judgment, like he will in his second coming, Jesus in his first coming came to save sinners He doesn't come in judgment in his first coming, but he came to bring salvation. And this is summed up beautifully in John's words in this passage. He says this, I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. John's baptism with the water and the words spoken pointed to the washing, the cleansing needed for the forgiveness of sins. But John taught that there was a much more significant baptism to come. A spiritual baptism brought about by Jesus himself that would bring about the fulfillment of that cleansing and that forgiveness of sins. And John's baptism with water prepared people to receive the spiritual baptism that Jesus offers. As God, Jesus is the only one who can bring about that spiritual baptism. Baptism of the Holy Spirit, which is given by Jesus, refers to Jesus taking us from our natural state of being dead, completely lifeless, rebels against God, to being alive, spiritually alive, new creations rescued from our rebellion. And we see this spoken of in the Old Testament in Ezekiel 36. There God promises to put his spirit in his people and to take away their cold, dead hearts of stone and replace them with a beating, pumping, living heart of flesh. Now, just like Celia mentioned last week about how she was a dead rock and then was made alive by Jesus to become a tree. We all have, have hearts that by nature are dead, dead rocks. Only by Jesus giving us new hearts, beating, pumping, living hearts, can we come to life in him. Only by him doing that for us can we be saved. Jesus convicts us of our sin and gives us repentance. That's the turning away from our our sin and, and faith in him. And this is the awesome gift of salvation. And this gift that Jesus offers is given to us freely, offered to us freely, but it came at the infinite cost of Jesus' blood shed on the cross, his life given in our place. And this radical change From being spiritually dead rebels to being spiritually alive new creations coincides with Jesus causing his spirit to come and live in us. And that's awesome news. That we who weren't even worthy to be slaves are adopted into God's family as sons and daughters and receive the most amazing gift of salvation and of God himself coming to live in us, making us his temple. Only Jesus, who is fully God and fully man, could bring about this salvation. Only the creator God could be the perfect king of the whole world. Only the creator God can rescue rebels and make us new creations. He made us and only he can make us new. And only a fellow human being could die the death that we deserved for our rebellion against God. So Jesus is the only one who can save us. We've seen that John is the promised messenger, that the promised King Jesus is God himself as promised, and that in his first coming, Jesus brings about the promised salvation of taking spiritually dead rebels and breathing life into them. And that leaves us with the question of how we will respond to Jesus, because while Jesus didn't come in judgment in his first coming, Jesus will return in judgment in the future, and we need to be ready we need to be right with god and the only way that can happen is by being rescued by jesus baptized by the holy spirit baptized in the holy spirit made alive through jesus death and resurrection so we must ask ourselves will we continue in our rebellion against god or will we be like john and recognize that jesus is infinitely greater than we are and trust him as our rescuer and God and King. So the question we must ask ourselves is, am I ready? We can come to Jesus today. If you've never done that before, then I encourage you to join with me in prayer in a moment and you can put your trust in him right now. it uh, Doesn't make life easy, but it's the, the most worthwhile decision that we'll ever make because it means that we get to spend forever with Jesus, praising him. And if you've known Jesus for many years, then I hope that you're encouraged that he is the God who has brought about your salvation. And your salvation is secure because it's founded in him. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we praise you and thank you for the salvation available to us in the Lord Jesus. We are in awe of your love for us, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for coming to this earth you created to rescue sinners like us, baptizing us in the Holy Spirit, breathing spiritual life into our dead hearts. Have mercy on us, we pray. Lord Jesus, forgive us for our sin, for our rebellion against you. Thank you, Jesus, that in your first coming, you didn't come in judgment, that you've given time for people to turn away from rebellion and trust you as Savior. Forgive us, Lord. Wash us clean by the blood of the Lord Jesus, that we may stand right with you when you come again. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would grow us in our love for you. Thank you, Father, that your promises are accurate in both the small and the big things. Thank you that we can trust you. Thank you that that John is the promised messenger, that Jesus, you are the Lord God come to your temple, come to rescue your people. And thank you for the salvation that you give us freely, not by anything we've done, but all because of your love and grace and the gift that you give us. We praise you, Lord, and we thank you, Jesus, in your precious name. Amen.